Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm Stuart Garlick and uh, we are looking back at the Marrakesh E Prix in Formula E. And uh, today I'm doing it with someone who's on for the first time. Um, disclaimer, we are recording this for the second time because there was a recording issue on my side. But uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Beatrice Man- Manaya, uh, who is a broadcaster for Eleven Portugal in Formula E and various other sports as well. Beatrice, thank you so much for appearing on the podcast. Thank you so much, Stuart. It's so nice to talk to you again. Um, as I said yesterday, I'll, and I, I want to repeat it, I really like Motion E. I think you do an incredible job, you and your team. So congratulations, and it's a pleasure for me to be here with you. Well, it's kind of a one-man band uh, in 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 some ways in terms of uh, the, uh, the 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 articles, but uh, yeah, the the podcast we've had um, some excellent people uh, coming on um, to talk to me, and um, you're you're one of those people. So thank you very much for your kind words and. Um, I actually want to start with uh, what you do on Eleven Portugal because um, it's um, re- really good to. I mean, obviously, I don't understand Portuguese, but um, I was watching uh, some film uh, on YouTube of um, you and the studio guests talking through the race, and you, you do it in quite a detailed forensic fashion in terms of what's happening when and why, and uh, you know uh, why this works, why this doesn't work, that kind of thing. Um, did you set out to kind of be detailed and to uh, demystify Formula E for people who've ne- maybe never seen it before? Yes, that's the point. We want to, to give the audience the better product possible. Uh, instead of just giving them the race, which is what they really want to see, uh, we want to give um, a pre-analysis of the race, like what we think it's going to happen. And then after the race, we do a, a studio where we analyze it and we and we talk about the championship, the drivers. We have a driver with us on studio. We have Miguel that uh, knows motorsport like uh, any, any, anyone else. So um, I think it's, I'm very happy with the prog that we give to, to the audience because I think it's very, very detailed and people can actually choose what they want to see. If they just want to see the race, they just see the race. If they want to uh, hear us talking, they do. So um, yeah, I'm pleased with, with uh, what we give. And with Eleven being a premium sports channel, does that mean that you can go into a bit more detail uh, than maybe you could do on a mainstream channel? Um, maybe, yeah. I don't think the, um, the premium thing has something to do with it. I think it has to do with the people working behind the scenes. And it's very important for them. And when I I, I signed with Eleven, when I came to this channel, um they told me that's a, a, an important base. They really wanted to give that to the audience. So I think it's, it has more to do with the DNA of the channel, the, the channel more than uh, and it, it is a premium channel, I think. All right, so um, we've got loads to talk about from Marrakesh, but uh, just just before I do, I, I want to get an idea of what it's uh, of, of what the climate for EVs is like in Portugal, because obviously there's there's no Formula E race currently in Portugal, but in the UK the problem is a lack of charging infrastructure in non-urban areas. You know, so as soon as you get outside London, Birmingham, Manchester, uh, it's it's difficult to find uh, to to find chargers um, 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 in in cities and not 
not uh, not everyone can afford the wall mounted box but uh, how 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 quick has ev take up been in portugal would you say and um what's the most popular ev around I believe the most popular EV is prob probably uh, Renault Zoe. I think it's the, the most popular on the streets. But um, I really think uh, it's uh, we have a lot of paths to do um, on EVs. Uh, the, the reality in Portugal is pretty similar to, to England, as you're describing me, because we have the exact, exact same problem. We don't have enough charging points. Um, so, uh, and the ones we have are mostly located in Lisbon, on the capital of Portugal, on the main city of Portugal. So, uh, if you want to travel to other places in the country, it's very hard to do it on an EV vehicle because um, you won't have enough charging points. So, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, logistically, I don't think things work fine just yet, but I think we'll get there. Um, people are starting to understand that uh, EV cars uh, are more sustainable and are the future. Uh, we have this, this, this thing where people think the batteries can pollute as much as gas do. Uh, but um, I think at the end of the day, people understand it, that it's better for the environment, but it's still very unaffordable and it's still very expensive. So I think when we get to a point where it can be more um, accessible, uh, people will will drive more EVs. Yeah, of course. And, um, and, and another thing that maybe people might be getting excited about, about in Portugal is, uh, of course, Antonio Felix da Costa. Now, um, I, 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 I want to get an idea, because obviously he got his first podium in Marrakesh of the, of the season. And by the way, that seems astonishing that uh, he got his first podium of the season, just because I think uh, I think we in Formula E world are so used to him being up up at the front. It it, it seems amazing that uh, that uh, he hasn't got there before now. But um, how much of a big deal in Portugal is Antonio? Obviously, he got uh, surrounded at the airport when he won his trophy in twenty twenty. But uh, um, is is he still as big a deal as he was? And um, how does he compare to maybe some of the top sports sports stars in terms of coverage? <laughs> it's still as big of a deal because one thing about the Portuguese fans is that uh, we are very loyal <laughs> and I think Portuguese fans are very loyal to Antonio people understand he's not having his best season in Formula E but um, he won um, Le Mans I think last month or three mm -hmm. weeks ago so people still see uh, Antonio has a great great driver um, and as we talked yesterday uh, Portugal is still a nation where football is the main um, the main sport. Obviously, motorsport is not at the same level, unfortunately. Unfortunately, but uh, uh, even though it's not at the same level, people still see Antonio and maybe Tiago Tiago Monteiro, our main Portuguese drivers, as the the main characters for motorsport and still respect them uh, a lot. Miguel Oliveira in the um, in MotoGP, mm. uh, people quite acknowledge them, and when they race, people see it. But if you ask me if it is as important as, as football is, it's not. Unfortunately, it is not. Well, I, I think that's just uh, that that's just kind of endemic to motorsports. Uh, it's it's always going to be a smaller yeah, sport. Yeah. 
it's always going to be a smaller sport than football, but uh, I, I feel like motorsports has dedicated fans in every country. And um, uh, I, I always enjoy watching the Portuguese Grand Prix as well, because uh, I, I know that the fans are going to be knowledgeable and they're, they're going to be really invested in it. And I think it makes a big difference. I'm, I'm not saying motorsports shouldn't go to, um, to new countries on the calendar, but I think when it goes to somewhere like Portugal, you know the fans are going to be knowledgeable and invested, don't you? We have a lot of motorsport fans in Portugal, not as much as football, but we do have. And the ones we have are very, very committed. So uh, Portimão was was incredible. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there, but the ones who went um, said it was incredible. The drivers really liked the, the track. So uh, it would be amazing to continue to have those races here in Portugal because um yeah the fans really love it and uh, as i uh <laughs> it's terrible to say this but as i told you <laughs> yesterday um drive to survive was very important i don't think only in portugal but uh, in uh, all over the world to to get more fans to formula one i think we have a lot of fans uh since uh, drive to survive and um, Portugal is no exception to, to that. So, yeah, it was, it was amazing to have those races here. I hope we can host more, more motorsport. We have MotoGP as well. Uh, it would be great to have uh, Formula E. I, I interviewed uh, Jamie Regal uh, last year. He told me that um, it was not as easy as it seems, but uh, uh, he saw conditions for that. Uh, because um, he told me he thought Lisbon was a, a beautiful city and uh, he really likes Portuguese fans, so uh, it would be great to to have a Formula E race here. Let's see, let's hope in the future we can see that. Yeah, let's hope so. Do you think it would be in Lisbon or do you think it would be in uh, maybe another Portuguese city? Maybe it will, or uh, maybe Lisbon or Villarreal. I don't know. We have a city circuit there. We hosted WTCR last hmm. weekend, uh, and since they have a city circuit set there, maybe they they could go there. It was a, it was a good option. Yeah, would be a good option. Yeah, definitely. That, that's a great that's a great thought. Just as you mentioned, Drive to Survive um, as a broadcaster. I'm interested to know your impression of why Drive to Survive has um, so increased the audience for F1 and for motorsport in general. And, you know, Formula E did its own version of Drive to Survive as a series of YouTube videos, I think, uh, last season. And um, th they've, they've been pretty well received, I would say, by, or by people who are already Formula E fans. But they've not had the effect of being in prime time on Netflix. Um, is it as important what channel you show these things on uh, as it is uh, what you film? Or uh, what do you think the reason is that, that, that some sports have tried their own drive to survive and it's worked and other sports it hasn't yet? Yeah, I think the channel is very important. Of course, Formula One ha has a different weight than Formula E has. So I think people probably or more people would be interested to see uh, Drive to Survive for Formula, Formula One than for uh, Formula E. 
So um, on to the race then in Marrakesh. Um, I, I, felt, I, I felt excited watching it, but it was exciting from a tactical point of view, in my opinion. Um, and that's maybe a pattern that we get at the end of every car era. So it happened at the end of the Gen 1 era in Season 4, and it, it's, it's happening again now. So you, you don't get as many kind of crash-filled races that, that maybe, uh, you know, make for good highlights on YouTube. But what you do get are some really good tactical chess matches. I mean, would you agree, based Based on the race at the weekend uh yeah that's a, that's a great point of view uh teams get more tactical uh at the end of each each season because they know the car better for once they're not testing they're not adapting they fully know um what they're up to and they are already thinking about next season i think because uh even though uh, we'll have uh, Gen 3 next season, and it promises to be a totally different car from Gen 2. Um, teams need to, to work on another different things, strategies, logistics, uh, to see other drivers, to do the, the switches that we know. So um, it's very important to see those those tactical moves. Um, personally, I really love to see it because it shows... Uh, the work of the teams and it shows great intelligence um, and I love to understand it sometimes I'm watching the race and I don't understand the strategies right away but then I like to look at it again and again and again and still understand okay that's why DS did it that's why uh, Jaguar did it this way and I think that's very very interesting to watch. It, it is. And that's an, that's another thing about Formula E. Of course, you know this, but uh, um, people can't really tell the strategies until maybe the middle or perhaps the latter part of the race, because, you know, um, we, we saw, for example, Jev um, seemingly fall back through the field in the middle of the race. And then uh, he, he found some pace, which, uh, which, which came at around the time he took his fan boost and was able to push more, but then ended up falling back again because of battery levels. So um, cl clearly he had a more conservative strategy than Antonio in the early part of the race. And, um, you know, it, it could have worked for him. It didn't in the end, but... Uh, that that really depends on the track. It depends on uh, depends on what's happening around you, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, if you're challenged by another car, or if you're challenged by another driver, sorry, then um, that's going to uh, eat into your battery levels. So uh, th that kind of thing is fascinating for me. But how much do you enjoy it as someone who ha who is paid to watch every race as well? <laughs> yeah, that that <laughs> that that's right. I'm paid to to watch a motorsport I love, so that's <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was fascinating for me to see uh, this race. It was a crazy race for me. Uh, I'm still very confused about the DS the, the to strategy. Uh, I still don't know really uh, what happened, especially on the race, because as you said it, and you said it very well, um, Jeff uh, seemed to have uh, a defined strategy, but then um, car levels of, of battery um, made him go backwards. And uh, I think it was very unfair for Antonio because it was he was with a great pace. And I still think if it wasn't that uh, little touch by Oliver Rowland, that maybe he could have won the race. But uh, the team was a bit confused about what they should do because the truth is, Jeff he is uh, uh, more is more qualified in the, the championship so the smart move was to put Jeff ahead uh, 
Um, but the truth is, Antonio was with a better pace. Antonio was driving super fast. He was the Antonio uh, we, we all love and the, the Antonio we were used to see uh, in later seasons. So maybe it would have been smarter for Diaz to, to choose Antonio instead of Jeff because um, Jeff's car was obviously not at his best. So um, yeah, it's very confusing. I still don't 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 understand what happened. Um, it still worked fine because Antonio made second, Jeff made fourth. Uh, it's not a podium, but uh, uh, it's still important points for the championship. But uh, I think if they manage it, uh, they if they manage differently, maybe things could go could go differently as well. Of course, and something that's being underreported, but um, so something that I find intriguing is that obviously John Eric Fern is staying with the DS organization next season when when they when they move uh, their powertrains to Dragon Penske. Uh, Antonio is ninety nine percent certain to have signed with Porsche. Uh, that's not been confirmed yet, but it's something the media is saying. Uh, if if that hypothetically is the case, and most people assume it will be, then that means that there's kind of a hidden incentive for DS to prioritise Jev in terms of he's in championship contention, uh, he hasn't had issues with, with qualifying in the car earlier in the season, and um, he's uh, he, he's obviously... Um, so so in a situation where they're both uh, at, at the front and uh, running together, it, it does seem like Jev is getting the call for obvious reasons right now. And um, Antonio said in an interview after the race uh, in Marrakesh, um, I hate it, but I will keep doing it in terms of playing the team game because I, I think he wants to show to his future employer that he is a team player and that uh, he's someone that they can rely on. But at the same time, he's a really competitive guy. He's not going to enjoy this, is he? Hell is not going to enjoy it. <laughs> Antonio uh, has a, a winner's DNA, I believe. He's a very competitive driver. Uh, but as you said, he, he knows he has team compromises. Uh, and he has to follow them. I think it must be must be very frustrating for him because he's not the guy to to slow down his pace to 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 not to help the team, but for for the greater good. Because Antonio wants to win, and I I really like it, like it about him because it just shows that he's a winner, and a winner always wants to win. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know if he's moving to Porsche or not. I think we'll only only know about that at the end of the season. But I believe uh, right now he's committed to DS, um, and he will be at the end of the uh, until the end of the season. So um, I think we'll we'll still have a lot to see from uh, from Antonio. He showed it here on Marrakesh because if he wasn't committed. Uh, to to his team and to motorsport, he wouldn't do this race. He would have given up, and he surely he isn't a guy to to give up. So I think people should should be um, should have an eye on Antonio because he he will show great things until the end of the season. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, th- there are four drivers in championship contention right now. Uh, there's uh, obviously the championship leader, Edo Mortara, who we'll come on to in a moment. Um, there is there is Jean-Eric Verne. Then there's Stoffel van Dorn and Mitch Evans. And the title situation is a bit different to last season, where we had, I think, um, around 10 drivers who were in contention coming into the last couple of race meetings. This time, it's, it's only those four. Now... Jamie Rydell, I know, is someone that you've spoken to uh, for for the host broadcaster in Portugal, and he said that he wants to develop more of a Hamilton Verstappen type situation where people are aware of who is in contention for the championship, and there are maybe fewer contenders, but they're stronger contenders. Um, do you think that maybe by accident that's actually what he's got this season? I don't think it it is an accident. I think that's exactly what he wanted and he's getting it. Um, He told me on interview that he wanted Formula E to be a a tier one sport. And on tier one sports, the best driver, the best team wins because they're more prepared. And uh, we have to, they told me, we have to create conditions that we, uh, a driver that's not so well qualified get so lucky that he can win a race and then on the next race he's 10th uh, and then he's 7th and then he can win again. No, uh, I know more uh, Formula E fans love that uh, unpredictable, that Formula E is unpredictable, but um, if we want Formula E to be a tier one sport, we can't let that happen. That's why they created this new qualifying format. I'm a big fan of it. I think it benefits the sport, and I absolutely love this um, this uh, Hamilton Verstappen situation we have here. We have it with four drivers, but uh, that's actually very interesting because yesterday I saw I saw a, st- a statistic that says that. Um, Eduardo, Eduardo Mortara is the fourth driver to have claimed a, a podium four Ypres in a row. Um, before him, only three drivers did it. Did this: Lucas Di Grassi, Antonio Felix da Costa, and Sebastian Buemi, and they were all Formula E champions on that year. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a great statistics, and it uh, it can probably uh, mean something for Eduardo. Um, obviously, obviously, this year is different with the new quality format. But uh, yeah, I think consi- consistency is everything, and we are starting to see it in Formula E. And when we talk about Mortara, I, th- I think it's uh, it's worth mentioning as well that Venturi are obviously the uh, customer team of that Mercedes powertrain in its final season, but they seem to be the ones right now who have it nailed on a consistent basis. Um, I, I was joking with the person I was watching the race with at the weekend that it seems like only one of Jaguar or Mercedes can ever be dialed in for any for any race. So uh, if, if Jaguar have a good race, Mercedes usually have a bad one and vice versa. And um, it, it seems, it, but, but it seems like Venturi have found a way to make that powertrain work at most races, or at least in the hands of Mortara. Now, the question then becomes, and I know we're talking about teammate rivalries maybe in a few moments, but um, 
when Lucas Degrassi joined, I think a lot of people, lot of people thought that uh, that kind of nuggety experience that he's got from being there right from the start, combined with Venturi having the Mercedes powertrain, would make him the contender. But actually, it's Mortara who's stepped up. How much of that is down to his previous experience of the Mercedes powertrain, and how much of that is just down to him having a fantastic season and being on it as a driver? De Grassi uh, seemed to be the the main driver at the at the beginning of the season, uh, for those reasons you mentioned. But uh, uh, they're they're both uh, different drivers. Uh, De Grassi is a more aggressive one, aggressive in the good way. Um, but sometimes I think he doesn't know the moments of the race where he can be aggressive or where he cannot. Um, Formula E is about uh, uh, energy management and uh, race management. And I think De Grassi sometimes fails to, to, to do that management because he wants to be aggressive all the time. He wants to drive fast all the time. And I think that's um, the, the main difference between him and Mortara because Mortara... Um, is more clever uh, in that way because he knows how to distinguish the moments of the race. Mortara knows that sometimes he has to to coast, he has to to save energy to use it on key moments of the race. And um, yeah, I think uh, that's why Mortara is up front because Mortara is more patient than um, is more patient than uh, Lucas Di Grassi, and probably that's why now Mortara is the the main driver. Um, yeah, Venturi has has done a great great job this season. Uh, it's not very common to see a customer team to do uh, better than the the main team, uh, Mercedes. It's not that uh, uh, Venturi is doing better than Mercedes. They're they're top of the championship now, but Mercedes Mercedes has been as well. But um, as I said, uh, Venturi has been more consistent, uh, has shown more strategy, uh, and I think uh, if they keep up, they they will get uh, good results at the end of the season. And um, I I think um, I I think I think those those people who um, who who saw Mortara's form in um, um, in 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 sort of um, patches last season and the season before. Um, probably won't be too surprised by him being in contention for the championship, but um, I, I think it's his consistency that maybe has surprised. And uh, what what I think, and I, I'd love to know your opinion on this, is that Venturi have really, um, you know, kind of toughened up their strategy this season in terms of last season they were having battery issues, they maybe weren't weren't getting to the end of races when when they should do, um, or they were finding themselves in in midfield scraps where they were having to uh, where the drivers were having to take risks where they didn't need to, or where they shouldn't have to. And um, th- this season they seem to have j- just ironed that out. So we we saw, for example, Mortara in Marrakesh pulling out uh, quite a quite a substantial lead towards the latter stages of the race uh, because he had that uh, because he had that battery available to him. And um, I, I just wonder how much of uh, Venturi's progress this season and Mortara's progress is down to just having the confidence of knowing that the strategy that they're going to use is the right one. Yeah, that's the key. I think uh, Mortara really trusts his team. He knows that even though uh, he can have a race that's not so good for him, he knows the team will work 
to give him a great car and all the conditions for him to have a great race. I think he really has that confidence and he knows that if something fails, uh, it's probably more his fault than it is the team's fault. He has that kind of trust in uh, that ski. You have to trust your team to be a champion and um, you have to have all the conditions. You don't have to be worried about team issues. Uh, and I think that's what happens with, uh, with Venturi. Yeah, they did it very well. So congratulations to them. Now, um, a, a lot of teams have... Um, um, have, have already tested the. In, in fact, all of the manufacturers have now tested the uh, new Gen Three car with with their with their uh, powertrain in it, and um, it, it, it's a very short turnaround time to develop a brand new car now uh, that they've got after the season finishes. Uh, and in, indeed, they only have one group test in Valencia uh, coming up um, in in the autumn, so not very much time. And do you get the sense that maybe some teams, I'm thinking, for example, Mahindra, maybe Neo Three 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 as well are perhaps putting all their eggs in that basket of uh, working now on designing and developing the Gen 3 powertrain rather than trying to push for more points this season when obviously they're out of the title race. Yeah, they're doing it and they're doing smartly because they they have nothing to win this season if even if they push to get more points to even to get a podium um they know uh, it's not enough. They're not going to be champions. They're not even going to be one to three. So uh, the smart move to do is to, to think ahead and to think next season. Um, uh, in a, that's what they should be doing because the... Okay, Mahindra might get a podium uh, in a race if everything goes goes right. I mean, Oliver Rowland was super competitive this 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 last race. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me for him to be in a podium, but it would be a one-time event. It wouldn't uh, it wouldn't have been uh, consistent. So they have to think ahead. They have to think next next season if they want to be side by side with um, the tier one teams because uh, Neo, Dragon, Mahindra um, and Andretti unfortunately uh, which was a surprise to me this season uh, are not at the same level as the, the other teams so if it was my team I would think already in next season. With Andretti, how much of that do you think is down to them using a powertrain that doesn't have any manufacturer development this season? It can be. Um, it was. I was afraid about that at the beginning of the season, but then Jake Dennis uh, on Saudi Arabia um, was great. He had great pace, and so I thought, okay. No, Andretti is very well as an independent team, so they they don't need um, they they are not uh, a customer team anymore. So, but that that was a one time event really because the, after that they have been they're not been at their best, which is a, ch a shame because I really like Andretti. Uh, Oliver Askew was was good. Uh, for a rookie last uh, last race, yeah, I think he was on the points. Jake Dennis is is a great driver. He was on the title um, title race last season, um, and I was hoping it could he could give us more. But uh, yeah, 
uh, Andretti is one of the teams that should be thinking about next season because they have great potential. And I think if uh, they they got the setup for, setups right, they they can do better. If it has something to do with the powertrains, I don't know. It can it can be because they they're still adapting. Uh, I hope not, but. Uh, yeah, it's the the only thing that's missing. So pro- it is probably it. Yeah, J- Jake Dennis, uh, not a title contender that anyone spotted at the beginning of last season as well. Uh, I I did a podcast where the person I was doing it with uh, essentially said, um, look, I don't know why they chose him. Uh, he's a good driver, but his experience is in sports cars and GTs. Um, uh, and uh, he turned out to be one of the stars of the season. I, I guess it just goes to show how some people adapt more quickly than others. But uh, it, it was really nice to see and really surprising as well. And uh, he, he, he's also got a real spirit about him. He's the sort of person who um, seems to lift up the people around him in terms of in terms of the way he the way he acts in um, in, in the paddock and his attitude. And um, I, I think he's I think he seems like a good guy to have around a good team player as well. But um, the um, the interesting rumor for next season is that uh, Andre Lotterer maybe rather than leaving Formula E for sports cars might end up doing a dual role between uh, driving for Porsche in sports cars and driving for Andretti. Now, um, that's obviously not confirmed and probably won't be until after the last race, but I, I think the more we get to see of Andre Lotterer in Formula E, the better for the spectacle and the sport. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you. Andre Lotterer is quite a, a character, right? Is mm. <laughs> a is a, a very also a very competitive driver. Sometimes uh, more competitive than I for my personal taste. But uh, yeah, when uh, when Andre is at the top of the race you know it's going to be a good race and you know we're going to have a show, we're going to have a spectacle. So uh, I wouldn't like to see him leave for GTs. Um, It probably suits him better as a driver, Um, but I like to have him in Formula Formula E because he gives a a little spice to it, you know. (laughs) Now, thinking about the Gen 3 car, because we've talked about that a little bit, but... Um, I, I just wonder what, what you th- what you think about um, how important the aesthetics are of that because obviously how the car looks sells the sport. Now they they came up with this design in association with Stellantis, uh, the Peugeot Citroen people um, in in Paris, and they, they came up with this very sort of distinctive wedge shaped chassis which uh, has to has to contain a, a bigger battery that goes for longer, um, but in a smaller package. Um, now, Jean-Éric Verne has said um, if that's what Formula E wants, then that's what Formula E wants, but it's not. It's maybe not the most efficient uh, in terms of aerodynamics. And um, it, other drivers have also expressed maybe uh, disaffection with the looks. What, what do you think about how important the looks are? And do you actually like the look of the Gen 3 car? Um... I'm going to be honest, it's not the most beautiful car I've ever seen. But to me, personally, um, I don't really care what a car looks like as long as if it's efficient and um, if it's a, a great car and a great uh, race car, uh, it can be the most ugly car ever that I, 
I don't mind about it. But as you said, some drivers tested it and they said um, it's not perfect. I think it's not perfect yet because it can be improved. And I think um, um, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Formula E was very quick to, to present it, maybe too quick because um, I think some details needed to be more well-defined. So um, that's what may be concerning me more, that the car is not a, a, as efficient as it was sold to us, that it would be the greater uh, race car ever. Uh, about the looks, yeah, both drivers and fans didn't like the looks. Um, I'm not a fan either. Um even though I don't think it's the most ugly car ever, I mean, uh, for me, it's a car. It's not. Uh, it's not the most ugly car. It's not the most beautiful car I've ever seen. Um, but I don't really care about that. I don't think that's very important uh, because at the end of the day, you just want a, an efficient car and a car um, with a, a, a great uh, technology setup. That's what distinguishes this car from the others. Um, that's what you want. You don't want a beautiful car because the car could be very, very beautiful and um, and don't be as efficient as you want it to be. So, yeah. I would rather have an efficient car than a beautiful car. <laughs> well, and the the um, the the kind of inter- interesting thing was that at the Goodwill Festival of Speed, where it made it pu- made its public debut, um, uh, Mahindra sent a car with uh, Nick Heidfeld, uh, who of course used to race for them. Now now um, does exhibitions for them, and um, he he ran the car up there in I think forty nine seconds, which is you know a respectable time up the Goodwood Hill. Uh, they'd just taken the car out of the box pretty much. Uh, they they hadn't done very much testing at all with it and um so he he was just he was just getting systems up to scratch and obviously didn't want to didn't want to damage the car in any way um i think maybe formula e as the self-proclaimed future of motorsport was perhaps um let down a little bit by the fact that the car that set the fastest time that weekend was this absolutely ridiculous looking but um you know um the the fastest thing you've ever seen fan car that sucked the car to the track and did it 10 seconds more quickly that 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 very short hill climb um i i think if not for that then maybe the reception might have been better but taking a formula e car taking an electric car to goodwood was always going to be a hostage to fortune just because of the kind of people who watch Goodwood um, without tarring everyone with the same brush they are older people generally they're people who like their like their petrol engines like their loud cars that they were never going to receive Formula E in the way that maybe we would were they yeah that's uh, I think uh, new generations are more um, more receptive of Formula E than the older ones because the older ones are still very conservative. They like their oils, they like their gas, they like the noise of the engines. And uh, for them, Formula E is like, uh, is something you don't do. We do you don't electrify cars. You, you can't hear the cars. That's, uh, that's, um, that's like a sin to them, you know. Um, I understand why Formula E went there, because I think that's the audience, that's the... That's the audience that's more difficult to to get, and maybe they thought, okay, if we go there and and if we show them that the car uh, is a race car and is efficient, and if we if we 
we get in touch in person um, locally, uh, maybe they will be more receptive of this idea. I don't think if it works that way, but I think the main idea was that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the 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 most difficult audience to get to are the the older generations. Their their minds are made up for convention uh, conventional motorsports, so it's very difficult to show them a new sport. And it will be it will be in the future. One thing I am very pleased with, though, is that um, it's so. I think a lot of um, I, I think a lot of making the Gen Three car look good will come from the livery and and how the livery is applied, and I think the team that's done the best job with their um, kind of testing livery is probably the new team for next season, McLaren. They're coming in to replace Mercedes EQ. Uh, they're using most of the Mercedes EQ staff, including Ian James from this season, and. Um, the, but but they're coming in with Nissan powertrains next season. Now they they launched their livery and uh, um, at the McLaren Technology Centre last week. Um, how impressed were you with the look of that McLaren? And um, how how excited are you to have McLaren in Formula E? I'm super excited. I was very impressed with uh, the look of it. I mean. Uh, McLaren is is beautiful. That uh, the papaya, the the orange and the blue um, are fantastic. It will be fantastic to have an orange car on track. I'm a, a huge huge fan uh, of McLaren, and it was great news to have them in Formula E. Very sad to hear that Mercedes leaving. But um, yeah, as you said, most of the staff and Ian James are staying and they're staying with the colors of McLaren. So um, it will it will be very interesting. Um, I'm eager to see how they will adapt. Uh, I'm afraid uh, the first races, they won't adapt it well. And I hope they don't lose their confidence because of that, because Formula E is not as easy as it seems. But um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident they'll do well. They they debuted this season also on Extreme, and uh, their debut was was fantastic. Um, they were a bit unlucky, but uh, but they showed great pace. So um, McLaren is betting on uh, electric vehicles, and uh, that's a great bet. That's great they're doing it, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to to see what they will be doing next uh, next year. Yeah, and uh, McLaren almost certain to be taking Rene Rast as one of their drivers. Um, I I can't think of anyone better to develop a new team and to 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 work to work with a new car and uh, to maximise a powertrain. Uh, while he was unlucky at Audi in his in his one full season, I I think he was one of the most consistent drivers, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do with McLaren. Um, regarding Extreme, because uh, obviously. It has created created mixed mixed opinion, but I, I think for those of, for those who've watched it, it it's been a good spectacle. And if you ignore the fact that um, not all practice sessions are shown live, and that it, it is quite clearly packaged for an audience in terms of the way the program's put together, um, extreme extreme has been a good thing to watch. 
I, I think the the one reservation the one reservation I've got is that they said they'd be going to far off places challenged by climate change and because of COVID in the first season and now because of other issues they've had to compromise that calendar and I, I feel like people don't necessarily know whether they're going to be going to Greenland for example or uh, a British military base in Dorset it, 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 there's a big difference between those venues um, wh- what do you make of Extreme as a concept and also how they've implemented that concept the concept is great um, uh, I think it's still a new concept and there are still uh, there are still uh, some edges to to define um, that's why some dates in the calendar are falling and I think um, logistically uh, on the paper things should work just fine but uh, uh, practically they don't they want to be as eco-friendly as they can and I support that but sometimes that's not possible you know um, yeah so we'll have like a double header uh, next uh, this week on, on sardine um it's a great spectacle to watch i think uh, uh, as i said it's a new championship so um not all things go perfect but when you you do have a race it's fantastic to watch i mean you have uh, nasar alatia sebastian love uh carlos sainz uh, uh racing together i mean when <laughs> it's not every day that you can see it. So, I mean, on Dakar, you have Dakar once a year. So it's fantastic to see those um, those those drivers together. And um, the thing about uh, gender equality is also very important to me. Um, it's fantastic to see these women, these talented women, having the chance to race side by side with um, with some of the greatest stars of motorsport because they finally have a chance to prove that um, that uh, they're equally talented and that in motorsport is not a sport where strength and uh, your anatomy is so important. So you can race side by side with a man and still win. So, uh, yeah, Extreme is the sport to watch. If you, I know, it's electrical, off-road SUVs. Probably the most conservative people won't like it as much, but come on, give it a try. You'll like it, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, I would totally agree as well on the uh, idea of having having a man and a woman driver. And um, so, some sometimes uh, the woman driver is, is more than an equal of the, of, of the male driver. So... For example, um, Molly Taylor, uh, Michaela Arlen Kotelinski, they, they've both put in fantastic stints in the first two seasons of Extreme E, haven't they? Uh, and plenty of other examples too. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fantastic drivers. We had uh, last uh, last season, uh, last stage, uh, Christine Jay-Z, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. character and fantastic driver to, to break his, his foot. Um, yeah, it's uh, they're they're all very very talented. You have Julia, you have the um, the driver for McLaren that I'm missing her name, but she's a fantastic driver as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic to watch them and uh, and they drive as fast as men. They drive as fast as men and uh, yeah, they're Christina Gutierrez is fantastic. Oh yes, she has, it's so great to see her race. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm very pleased to see them. Yeah. 
All right, so we've got the New York EP coming up. Um, it's uh, obviously not in as beautiful a locale as the Marrakesh EP, but it, it seems to produce decent racing. Um, I'll, I'll just close off this podcast by asking you, as a broadcaster, how important is it that you're able to show a beautiful location uh, around the track, uh, as, as well as as well as well obviously excellent racing? Um, do you appreciate places like Marrakesh because, because you can show those wonderful city views that get people in the mood or is that kind of stuff not important is it all about what happens on track it's a, a mix of both but if you ask me what weights the most it's the track obviously i mean of course if the surroundings are are beautiful and if the the city can can um, can uh, get you to a different place and uh, if it's a beautiful city it helps but at the end of the day, you just want the track to be the best track ever and uh, the drivers to have the best conditions to race properly. So, um, yeah, as a broadcaster, I don't think that's as important as it can be. Um, I think it's more important for the, for the cities themselves because obviously having um, a race in their city can, uh, can be a great uh, uh, publicity uh, advertisement for the city you know uh, and I think it's up to the cities to to enjoy that and to take advantage of that okay Formula E comes to our city let's show them that Marrakesh is a great city that uh, that uh, tourists can visit and can enjoy uh, I don't think New York needs it <laughs> New York doesn't need Formula E to be a city everybody wants to go to uh, if you ask me if it's a beautiful city, uh, that's uh, questionable. <laughs> but uh, it has a beautiful, <laughs> it has a beautiful track, um, and I think um, pilots will really enjoy themselves. The double header. Uh, we're very very close to the end of the championship, so I think maybe they'll be more focused on that than the city itself. Um, and me as well, because I'm I'm very eager to see who's going to be champion this year, and I think uh, a lot of things will still change, um, and I'm very eager to see them. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to ask you for a champion prediction because I, I know that as as a host broadcaster, you're not allowed you, you're not allowed to state opinions or say who your favourites are or anything like that. But I am very grateful that you came on this podcast, uh, Beatrice, and uh, I wish you the best of luck. I think what you're doing with Eleven Portugal is excellent, and you know that the level of coverage that you folks are giving to it over in Portugal is is just what is just what is needed. So I I, I really wish you all the best there uh, and thank you for coming on this podcast as well thank you so much Stuart it was a pleasure to talk to you 